Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Tessa Hadley is the author of Free Love, a novel. Tessa is also the author of four highly praised novels, Accidents in the Home, which was long listed for the Guardian First Book Award, Everything Will Be All Right, The Master Bedroom, and The London Train, which was a New York Times notable book. She's also the author of two short story collections, Sunstroke and Married Love, both of which were New York Times notable books as well. Her stories regularly appear in The New Yorker, and she lives in London. By the way, sometimes people ask me, for Zibby Books, my new publishing company, they say, you know, if you could have any book that was on the market now and have it be a Zibby book, which what would it be? And I think that this book, Free Love by Tessa Hadley, is something that I really wish had been a Zibby book. So anyway, enjoy. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss free love. It's a pleasure to be here, Zibby. Thank you for having me on the program. Of course. I have to say, I posted that I was reading your book over the weekend and so many people were like, oh my gosh, Tessa Hadley has a new book out. That's so exciting. <laughs> so you have a, a fan Lovely. club over here. <laughs> Lovely to hear. It's always been a bit of a miracle to me how those books that in a way, as I write them, they feel very British, very English. And I just love it that, that they obviously set off some reverberation that you in America respond to. And that's such a privilege for me. I mean, everything in Britain seems more exotic and like, <laughs> it's like Downton Abbey, right? It, I don't know. It's like everything just, it's just the accents and you can tell, like, I don't know. There's something, there's just- Of course it works the other way around, Zibby. You realize- I don't know. exotics. That's a lovely thing, isn't it? And, and isn't it one of the great novel traditions that we read American novels and Americans read our novels and it's the same English but it's you know full of such different worlds but we we do know each other in all kinds of ways but partly through our fiction traditions. So true I actually I co-host a podcast with a woman named Tracy Cox and she's in London and just even hearing all the idiosyncrasies in language when we talk about the most basic things I always I like get such a kick out of each word Mm -hmm. So yes, but it's funny when when my first books went to you know were published in America, 
it, first of all, the editors kind of wanted to change everything, like drawing pins and push chairs and flats and you know rubbish instead of garbage and but in the end actually that's really we I we when we're reading an American book we want strollers and pacifiers (laughs) I I don't know why I'm doing that baby thing but those are all the words that spring to mind that are different yeah so that's part of the pleasure isn't it yes I think you're right I think you're absolutely right but of course part of the pleasure of this book is that you're an absolutely beautiful writer as I'm sure you know but maybe it doesn't hurt to hear again but from the very beginning you the way you create a scene and get us so close to like the dressing room and then as you go through from you know dingy flats and to all backyards to all these things even like watching the car outside waiting as as she Mm -hmm. goes and gets her stuff I mean all these images are so visual and amazing you just like sink right into it well that's just lovely to hear and of course I I can't quite know that about myself you you can't you're just doing in a workmanlike way the best you can and and it's always just delicious when people say well I saw it I was there and I saw it because because that's what you want yeah would you mind giving a little synopsis of the book and then maybe I could just read a passage that I thought was particularly great to hear (laughs) it's quite unusual for me in that it's really is set in, I mean, especially to someone as young as you, must see the past. It's the past. And I was only a little girl in the 1960s. So I've set my whole novel in 1967 and 1968, which is a long time ago. But I think we appreciate from the vantage point of now that it was pivotal. It was a moment at which everything changed. And I, I wanted to feel that change, but not, not in the abstract, not as a piece of sociology, the change happens in my story across one woman's life. She begins the book giving a dinner, a casual family dinner party. She's a bourgeois, suburban housewife. Her husband's a civil servant. He's a really decent, nice man. They have two kids. She's happy with her life. And then something happens at the dinner party. A young man, I, I'm not spoiling the story, really. It happens so quickly. A young man kisses her almost randomly because he thinks that would be an unbourgeois thing to do. And he's he's a rebel and he's a dropout and he's an intellectual and he lives in a shoddy sort of bedsit in a weird, dilapidated art deco place in West London where the counterculture is happening. And that kiss sort of it, it is really is a sort of sleeping beauty thing. It it awakens Phyllis, the housewife, and she pursues him to his room and her life changes in every possible way and the 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 novel sort of fans out from there and it doesn't only follow what happens to her and her love affair it also follows through on well what does that do to the family what does that where what happens to her husband what what about those two children what becomes of them so I the whole thing sort of widens out well, I have to say, I am so glad that I read this book, like cover to cover, because I would never have predicted the way it all twisted and finished up. That was like, anyway, I couldn't believe it. So well done. I can never yeah, there really see twist. There's a, there's a surprise that I had up my sleeve and I had it from the beginning. I knew it. I knew it was really? there. Oh my god! I sort of wrote around it, holding it back. And yet at the same time, I hope putting little seeds and signs in there. I mean... 
I would have to go back now and reread it to find the the, yeah. the clues because I you're not meant to miss them. I yeah. completely no, no, you're not meant to. It's just that you've got to make it work when you do get to that point. You think, oh my goodness, you mustn't then think, oh no, that's not possible. It's sort of got to work with what you've read so far. Yeah. So that that's what I meant. You weren't meant. To, you weren't meant to think it in advance. Okay, all right. Well, either way, it was. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh. Anyway, but here's a, here's a little passage just to show your sensational writing and. Anyway, it's towards the beginning. Well, not so beginning. It's like 77. Is it lascivious? Is that how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? It is, yeah. right? His lascivious, uninhibited gaze was as arousing almost as if he touched her. And by the way, this is where Nikki and Phyllis are getting together. She had never been seen like this before or allowed herself to be seen without any ironic deflection. Not with Roger, who was her husband, nor that other man. Getting his pleasure, Nikki was so heedless and unconstrained so that she too was unconstrained and didn't care how he saw her. Married love was too kind, she thought. It hovered on the threshold of this knowledge and never went inside, never took the necessary liberties. Because her shared life with her husband was grown up and considerate, they had made love considerately, like innocence. Also, she'd been ill with miscarriages after giving birth to Colette, which was why in the end they had come home to England. This had shadowed their lovemaking with the gravity of failure, made them apologetic. Nicky had no history of failure and no grown-up authority in the world, so when he made love to her, it was with his whole frank concentration, and with such urgency as if nothing else was important. That was what Phyllis thought then, too. Nothing else was important. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, it's just one truth. I thought that's one of the great things about the novel as a form. You can have that, and it's true. Nothing else was important. And then you put something next to it in the chapter, which makes you think, oh, yeah, actually, that doesn't last long. And all sorts of other things are important, like your children and yeah. like, you know. So that's, 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 that's what I love about novels is they hold all these truths alongside each other and they're all valid. Yes. It's amazing. I know I felt so badly for her children, just pining away, really. And the well, son. maybe one pines and maybe the other, the daughter, I feel, might be a, a great survivor. I think yes. she might use her mum's, you know, vanishing and abandonment of the family. I think Colette, her daughter, might use that as a stepping off board for her own adventure, which will be even bigger. Maybe you should write that next. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> You should write write a whole novel about Colette and what happens with her life. You should get us all the way up to the present. Do you know, And when I was planning this novel, I did briefly entertain the idea of bringing the story up to the present. And then I, I, which which in a way that I've done that before in novels, I've sort of, you know, had a big stride through time. And I just thought it was too long. I wanted the focus. I wanted the intensity of that sort of 18 months or whatever it is. Perhaps it's two years. No, yeah. you're right. You, this was perfect. That's why we need like to jump ahead and see what happens next. Uh, well, that's a lovely thought. I, I will hold it in mind. Just it over in the midst of uh, all your I medicine. will. I will. I promise. <laughs> Take me back a little bit to how you got started in this whole field and mm. how we arrived here. You mean writing novels at all? Yes. Just mania, really. (laughs) Being being an obsessive reader from a very early age, being one of those little girls who was actually quite shy and bad at, at being in a crowd and joining in, had my intense friendships with certain girlfriends. And and we this is, you know, when we're eight, nine, ten, eleven, and maybe and a bit. 
And we we imagined, we had imaginary games. And I always think that actually that's where the germ for the novel making, the story making comes from. It was when we sat down together and said, I know we, we're living on an island and we've got these children and that's what their names are. And we have to row to the mainland. This was one game we played month after month for a few years. So I think that that was important, but but I was a reader obsessively. I loved to read everything, went to the library, took out the books, read them, took them back. And then at some point that went crossed over into being, I want to, I want to write a book which will capture my life, which will capture my world, not, not my life exclusive to me, but the world I'm in. And then there were long years of trying to do that. And failing, actually, while I was relevant to your the title of your podcast, while I was <laughs> mum with young kids, I was not only reading lots because that was my salvation. I was just talking to my best friend about that. I was talking about her, her daughter just has given over her life 24-7 to her children. That's my friend's grandchildren. And my friend and I were saying, we couldn't do that. We had to greedily claw back time for reading, which is sort of, I imagine that's what your podcast is sort of all about. Anyway, anyway, so not only was I reading in my time of being a mother to young children, now all, now I'm a grandmother and they're all very grown up, I was trying to write. And actually, I was a very slow starter and I had quite a lot of anguishing years of failing to write and writing about four novels that were no good at all and they're now in landfill thank goodness so that's what I was doing and then in my 40s late I got published and although that was very painful for as long as the the apprenticeship lasted and wasn't working I kind of don't now it seems right it seems the right part of the story I I sort of needed to get that mature for me, not not this is not true of everybody, but for me to be ready to tell my stories the way I wanted to. And then one wonderful day, you know, I found an agent. I, I'd hardly known before how to even do those things. I wasn't au fait with the world of publishing, but I did do an MA in creative writing, which was like your MFA. And that was wonderful transition. Not really because no one can teach you to write. But you have an audience and you have sort of almost like an editor, somebody working with you. And you also learn, oh, you need to send it to an agent. You need to probably send it to quite a few agents. And then they, you know, all that, all that stuff. So one wonderful day while I was at work, because I was teaching at the time um, in the office, I got a phone call and I was going to be published by Jonathan Cape. And then only a couple of weeks later, I had a phone call from Jennifer Bath, my wonderful US publisher, who's still my publisher and um a transformation began a, a very i mean a very very joyous moment for me okay we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the life 360 app which i am obsessed with i first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use so i got it and now i am obsessed it's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. 
Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus, or when my husband gets to LA, or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So then how many, like which novels, t- tell me about your novels. I know I read about it on your website, but. I've written, this is my eighth, and my first one, I think my first one, which was called Accident, they've all been published both in the UK and the US. I had Jennifer Bath from the beginning. That that was marvellous. She was with Henry Holt then, and then I moved with her to HarperCollins. Accidents in the Home, re- I, I sort of, I knew I'd failed at those great big clunky, ugly novels. I knew, I began to know I could write a short story. I had a grasp of that arc and that shape and I wrote a couple that I was satisfied with so Accidents in the Home my first novel is really structured as a series of short stories put end to end that are all about the same people I mean it is a novel you know it's about them and things change and time goes on but I managed to achieve that by still dealing in small pieces and it was only on about my third or fourth novel that I I really suddenly felt the spaciousness of the novel form and I was able to relax a bit and 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 wait for things to happen and resolve themselves and follow through more slowly so and that I felt confident in that way for the last sort of three or four novels I would say wow that's interesting the idea of like sort of stretching out like you're putting your feet yeah. up <laughs> yeah it, 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 of course you're you're so not putting your feet up but no, I know of course but, but you're right it does it sort of does feel like stretching out and let letting yourself go into the local writing of the novel not quite worrying about where it's going I mean you are all the time worrying but you can you can have those two things at once you can be local and precise and get that bit right but you still sort of know where the bridges are going to come down you're building a long long bridge across a wide river and and you you sort of you have you can you can see where it's going to come down but you're also just concentrated on that bit actually as a as a metaphor that doesn't work terribly well I'm sure an engineer would tell you that is no way to build a bridge (laughs) It's a good way to make a novel. <laughs> My daughter last night, I was, I said something and, and I, and she said, really? And I said, no, 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 it was an analogy. And she's like, well, what's an analogy? I'm like, uh, like you are to your brother, like this person is to, you know, and she's like, what? And I was like, well, it's also like, anyway, we had this whole conversation about yeah. the difference between like analogies and comparisons and similes. And anyway, it went nowhere, but Brilliant. 
Anyway. No, 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 that will not have gone nowhere. It will have gone inside and yeah. she will be mulling get, uh, over that. Stored away for the SAT prep or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. So what's your process like when you're writing a novel? I like to have one started while, so while Free Love is now being published this week in the UK and in a couple of weeks in the US, I, I have got the beginnings of a new one just very tentatively down. I I, I think about it first and I make some notes, but it's all about story and character and 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 shape. It's not like research. I'm not doing a great heavy sessions in the library. I never do those actually. I I, I make it up first and then sometimes I check. I think, oh, I wonder what nursing was really like in the 1960s. You know, I had to do a little bit of research about that for for free love because one of my characters is a nurse, trainee nurse. But so, but not that I would hate the idea of spending two years, you know, reading stuff about the 1960s and then eventually sort of getting down to writing. That's, I think you've got to go the other way around. Imagine it first, dream it first, loads and loads of dreaming, really. You've got to just, this is putting your feet up again. You've got to just relax and, and let the story sort of come inside your head exactly as we did when we were those little girls thinking what should we play I know you know it's that it's it's, it's a magical thing and, and then you also have to be strenuous with it because you are a grown-up and you're going to deliver deliver a novel so you have to sort of strenuously think will that work and what can I do with that what could I where could I take that so lots of that thinking but not not dense dense not loads of post-its and not notebooks full just a, some sketching and then and then I do actually write from the beginning to the end. I don't and I don't write a very, very rough draft. I write at the time it feels as if I'm writing the book. Of course, then I do go back through it and I do cut a lot and I'll sometimes put new scenes in even before I show it to anybody. But not I think I'm not I know lots of my favorite writers who do write a thin, quick, forward pushing kind of draft and then go back. And fill it out. I, I was talking with Lily King, who's I love Lily King. Yes. I really love. I she's. I was talking to her about her short stories oh, for a yeah. the other day, and uh, she was saying that it, it was a breakthrough for her when she learned to just write ahead, just push on with momentum, and come back later. But I, I'm very controlling, I think, and I can't do that. So I am writing rather finished, sort of final seeming prose, even if. Of course, later I'm tinkering with it. And then I, so I write, hopefully, unless there's any catastrophes, slowly. It takes me a couple of years to write a novel, but slowly from the beginning to the end. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, of course, all the time, not only about the local bit I'm writing now, but I'm also thinking, what's, what do I need to come? Is it time to build that in? What, where shall I reveal that? secret I've got up my sleeve you know and how how would I best do that and and so on and so forth so it's a sort of funny back and forth between the very very this sentence this scene make like you said at the beginning make try and make them see what I'm seeing in my mind's eye but at the same time trying to hold the long span of the book wow and you do you type it or you handwrite it yeah, type it on the computer. Hand handwriting the notes in my notebook and tinkering in my notebook and and scribbling and jotting, but the actual sentences are going onto the computer. 
And I love that. I, I can't now. Of course, I did write the first those awful novels <laughs> on a typewriter. But now that seems so immobile once it once it was there on the page. I mean, you could paint bits with Tipex and do that. But the loveliness of being able to cut and paste and move around and just, oh, suddenly that paragraph should be there. The ease of that. I actually can't now imagine what it must have been like for most of the great writers I mostly admire, you know. That's what I was just thinking. All of the all of yeah. the classics, what would they be if they had been, Absolutely. you know, t- tinkered with, cut and pasted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think what they must, what it must be is that it's simply where you do a certain level of composing, they're doing more in their head mm-hmm. before it goes down onto the page yeah. to a certain extent. Whereas I am, we in our era are able to sort of almost throw down at an improvised level onto the page and then perfect on the page. It must be that. Yes. I mean, Henry James used to dictate verbally to, a, you know, a secretary who took down his words. That's that's very difficult to imagine, isn't it? But yes. he did. Yes. Wow. She yeah. should get some credit. I hope she does. Oh, she does. Saying. She does. She's quite famous her names there was a man first a young scott and then there was a woman theodora bosanket and she is quite she wrote a book about him afterwards and yeah she's 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 recognized she's got her due okay this is my about henry james and and that oh well amazing well what advice would you give for an aspiring author to an aspiring author i should say i would say read 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 and that's what fertilizes everything. You know, read the books you love. Don't read dutifully, but 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 devour the books you love and, and sort of look at how they're working. Not to spoil them. It doesn't spoil them. But to just admire what's going on and watch the sentences. And, I mean, in a way, my advice would be don't do it unless you manically need to. And you'll find nearly every writer will say, I couldn't stop. I failed. I hated it but I had to try again. So, you know, that process will sort people out. And those who do a, a, a first manuscript and it doesn't really work and they'll just give up. That's fine. That's very sensible of them. They can do something else like cook lovely dinners or something. <laughs> but if they, if they want to write, they will pick themselves up and try and try again. And yeah, so keep trying. And and what, what would be my, I mean, I think my my breakthrough, how I got the first stories right, is look close to home first. You, you don't have to write about yourself and you don't have to strictly write about what you know, but there's a lovely feeling when, when I was writing those first stories where I thought I had something real to say and I wasn't just imitating other writers. It, it was because I was finding it very close at hand around me in the places I'd lived, the kind of people I lived with, the stuff I knew as a person, the, the, the very limited, but you know, w- wisdom I had about life from, from family, motherhood, daughterhood, and, and a certain class, I suppose, and a certain pattern of relations that belong to my era, all of, all of that stuff that almost I'd gone beyond it thinking, well, that's boring. That's that's not worth much. Instead, that is the place that most of the best writing begins. It sort of begins at home, but that doesn't mean literally writing your own story. Begins at home and close to home in your neighbourhood. 
I love that. That's amazing. Are your kids so proud of you? Did they tell you that? I hope they are. They're they're all boys, men. So yeah. they're ironic and teasing, but they are. They are. They're all coming to my London launch. I'm going up to London for my launch tomorrow, and um, oh. they're all turning up. And we're that's going so for sweet. real afterwards. Yeah, it is. It is really sweet. Oh, that's so great. I wish I were in London to just pop by your lunch. I would love oh, to. <laughs> I wish you were. It would be so nice to see you there. Do you have boys or do you have girls? Or I have two boys and two girls. How lovely. Four. Great. I, yes. had, three. I had three boys. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's fun. It's, you know, it the circus, but. <laughs> the circus, absolutely, and occasionally extraordinarily vexing and difficult. But well, it's I have to weird. tell you, as I'm as I'm like watching and listening to your story, I have my first memoir coming out. I'll be 45, almost 46, this summer, and when it's going to come out, and I've been like maniacally writing it and rewriting it and rewriting it for basically 20 years at this point. And I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, wow, that's so neat. Like I could, I could try to just keep doing this. <laughs> Yes, like like maybe I'll be sitting there one day on a podcast or whatever is invented by then, you know, talking because my kids are nowhere near. I mean, they're tiny, but you know, maybe one day I'll be the grandmother who's like writing the books. Like, how cool would that be? So, anyway, (laughs) and congratulations. That's very exciting. That's lovely. How super it feels very, very good, doesn't it? Thank you. Yes, it's nice. All right. Well, thank you, Tessa. It was so lovely to talk with you today and catch your own little English idiosyncrasies and all that along the way after we talked about it at the beginning. (laughs) Lovely to talk to you, Zubin. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Okay. Have fun tomorrow. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 